We are truly now, more than ever, the last great hope of Earth. Oh, man. Earth is so screwed. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, out in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, hopefully we'll get to Wisconsin today, and up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com on another one of those days where I got to tell you, I can barely keep up with all of the incoming. Actually, I can't keep up with all of the incoming. (laughs) Yeah, it's really not possible. So, you know, we have to pick and choose what's important and what really needs to be covered. And some stuff we just have to ditch. Says Desi Doyen, our producer. Hello, Desiree. Uh, Yeah, we're going to do our best to just uh, pick out the stuff that matters here most. Uh, on a day that uh, politically, at least, is likely to be seen as really one of the worst for the president to date, at least on a political level and on, boy, at least three different major issues, actually more, but I may only be able to get to three of them, maybe, Uh, congressional Republicans in both the House and Senate to varying but unmistakable degrees have chosen really for the first time during this presidency to turn against Donald Trump on several, several major issues. But first, speaking of running against the president, we have yet another major entrant into the 2020 presidential race today. Former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke made it official on Thursday. He plans to run for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States in 2020. I think that brings the total to, is it 13, 14? I think it's 14 now, but don't hold me to that. O'Rourke released an announcement video from El Paso sitting on a couch and addressing the camera while holding hands with his delightful wife, Amy. 
calling for an unapologetically positive and optimistic grassroots campaign, not unlike the one that he ran last year for Senate in the great state of Texas. Amy and I are happy to share with you that I'm running to serve you as the next president of the United States of America. This is a defining moment of truth for this country and for every single one of us. The challenges that we face right now, the interconnected crises in our economy, our democracy, and our climate have never been greater. And they will either consume us or they will afford us the greatest opportunity to unleash the genius of the United States of America. In other words, this moment of peril produces perhaps the greatest moment of promise for this country and for everyone inside of it. We can begin by fixing our democracy and ensuring that our government works for everyone and not just for corporations. We can invest in the dignity of those who work and those who seek to work. We can ensure that every single American can see a doctor and be well enough to live to their full potential. And all of us, wherever you live, can acknowledge that if immigration is a problem, it's the best possible problem for this country to have. And we should ensure that there are lawful paths to work, to be with family, and to flee persecution. We can listen to and lift up rural America. We can work on real justice reform and confront the hard truths of slavery and segregation and suppression in these United States of America. We can reassert our global leadership and end these decades-long wars and be there for every woman and man who has served in them. And perhaps most importantly of all, because our very existence depends on it, we can unleash the ingenuity and creativity of millions of Americans who want to ensure that we squarely confront the challenge of climate change before it's too late. This is going to be a positive campaign that seeks to bring out the very best from every single one of us, that seeks to unite a very divided country. We saw the power of this in Texas, where people allowed no difference, however great or however small, to stand between them and divide us, whether it was religion or gender or income or geography. We put our labels and our differences aside to come together for the only thing that matters, the future of this country and the generations that will follow us. There's a lot more to come, but I want to leave you with this. The only way for us to live up to the promise of America is to give it our all and to give it for all of us. We are truly now, more than ever, the last great hope of Earth. At this moment of maximum peril and maximum potential, let's show ourselves and those who will succeed us in this great country just who we are and what we can do. Thank you. No, thank you, Congressman. That's former El Paso, Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke's announcement today that he is seeking the Democratic nomination for president. And uh, he notes in there that immigration is the best possible problem for this country to have. Uh, I should note that's coming from a uh, from a congressman on the border, on the border in the border town of El Paso. Now, O'Rourke, of course, ran a very uh, even surprisingly competitive campaign against Republican Senator Ted Cruz last year. Uh, unsuccessfully, but it turned him into a bit of a political star, even though he ultimately lost that race. 
But with the notion that the state of Texas could actually be in play for Democrats during the 2020 race with a candidate like O'Rourke on the ticket, many will no doubt be watching his candidacy very closely in an already exceedingly crowded field of, frankly, a bunch of really good candidates on the Democratic side. Oh, yeah, I think he can help drive turnout for sure. He lost very narrowly to Ted Cruz. That was his surprise. However, just as a reminder, as a sixth-generation Texan yep. that, you know, Texas used to be quite blue. And it got purple once George Bush was elected. So, and then it turned deep red yeah, in so the ensuing years. Yeah, and so a lot has happened, but it's yeah. still there are a lot of folks there that I can say see a path forward for Democrats to win in Texas. Now, uh, for what it's worth, Desi Doyen, in a uh, New Yorker cover story on Beto that was published online last night, coinciding with his announcement today, uh, O'Rourke says, um, pressed on his national policy positions, O'Rourke says he wants to shore up the Affordable Care Act and make Medicare part of the health care marketplace and eventually make, quote, health care for all a reality. He could he would also, he says, make climate change a tro- top priority, quote, keeping the planet from warming one half degree Celsius for me is the most important for humanity, he said. He supports Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal, at least in spirit, if not every letter. He said the goal of converting to 100% renewable energy within a decade, I love, he says. It's ambitious. It captures your imagination. New Yorker goes on to report that as if to rebut the inevitable accusations that he's a socialist, he proclaims himself a proud capitalist, Among the few Democratic candidates, he points out, who have been small business owners, he says the uh, the ingenuity and innovation that you only find in America and in a capitalist system is the ability to harness the power of the market. He says it's hard to argue against pricing carbon and allowing the market to respond to that. Well, he's not wrong. And, of course, the folks that are slamming the Green New Deal as socialism are not actually being accurate about that. It's democratic socialism, which is what they have in Norway and Denmark and places that have the highest standard of living across the world. And the idea of putting a price on carbon, a carbon tax... Let the market uh, respond yeah, to that? that's a market mechanism. Capitalism is a mechanism. Obviously, it depends on how it's constructed, but use it. And with that, I will uh, note that, Desi Doyen, you will uh, bring us your latest uh, world-famous Green News <laughs> report a little bit later on today's show with more on the devastating cost of Donald Trump's climate science denialism, including an enormous waste of actual taxpayer dollars while his administration is rolling back uh, climate policy Uh, and some evidence of hope for the future as even the fossil fuel industry and its CEOs now seem to be taking notice of the uh, fairly clear writing on the wall with school kids uh, on Friday around the world planning a day of strikes and climate action. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, Closer to home, however, it has been a day of rebukes for this president from his own party on several different fronts. The day began with a striking, unanimous vote in the U.S. House to demand that the special counsel Robert Mueller's report, whenever it is finally uh, given to Trump's new attorney general, be made public for all to see. A unanimous vote. 
The Democratic-backed resolution, largely a symbolic measure designed to pressure A.G. William Barr into releasing as much information as possible once the probe is finally concluded, that resolution passed 420 to zero on Thursday. As Mueller is said to be nearing an end to his investigation, lawmakers in both parties have maintained there will have to be some sort of public resolution when the report is done, according to the Associated Press. And privately, uh, they hope that uh, a report shows conclusions that are favorable to uh, whichever side they happen to be on. For Republicans voted present, essentially abstaining, and that would be Michigan uh, Congressman Justin Amash. I'm actually kind of surprised that he abstained there. Florida Congressman Matt Gates, not surprised that he abstained, actually surprised he didn't vote against this. Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar and Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey, they all voted present. But everyone else from both parties supported this non-binding resolution calling for the public release of any report that Mueller provides to Barr, with an exception for classified material. Uh, House Judiciary Committee uh, Chair Gerald Nadler said this, uh, quote, this resolution is critical because of the many questions and criticisms of the investigation raised by the president and his administration. It is important that Congress stand up for the principle of full transparency. I like that idea. Uh, It's unclear, however, what documentation will be produced at the end of the probe and how much of that the Justice Department will allow anybody to see. That would be uh, anybody, including the public or even members of Congress. Mueller is required under the special counsel statute, um, as we discussed with former U.S. House General Counsel Stan Brand on this uh, on this program some weeks ago. Mueller is required to submit a report to the attorney general, in this case, Bill Barr, and then Barr can decide how much of that is released publicly. Barr in the past has said that he believes the uh, special counsel was was formed in error. So it's uh, or should have never been was improperly uh, formed and should have never happened. So We have no idea, actually, what Barr is going to decide should be released to the public. The uh, regulations require only that the report explain the decision to pursue or to decline prosecutions, which could be as uh, simple as a bullet point list. Or it could be a report running hundreds of pages if all of the underlying documentation is also included. Nobody knows what Mueller is going to turn over. The top Republican on the Judiciary Committee That's uh, Georgia Congressman Doug Collins said the vote on the resolution was unnecessary, but that he would support it anyway. (laughs) Don't know why it was unnecessary, but Democrats have said they are not satisfied with Barr's answers on this uh, issue about whether he would release the report during his recent confirmation hearings where he vowed only to be as transparent as possible. They would like a stronger commitment to releasing the full report, along with the uh, interview transcripts and other underlying evidence. In introducing the resolution today, Nadler and five other Democratic committee chairs said, quote, the public is clearly served by transparency with respect to any investigation that could implicate or exonerate the president and his campaign. 
Republican Texas Congressman Will Hurd, a, uh, a GOP member of the House Intelligence Committee, said before the vote that he believes the resolution should have been even broader to include the release of all underlying evidence, saying, quote, I want the American people to know as much as they can and see as much as they can. Hurd is the only Republican, by the way, representing a southern border district in Texas. Since we were talking about the Democrat uh uh, Beto O'Rourke there from El Paso. The, herd, the Republican herd is also a former CIA officer. He added, quote, full transparency is the only way to prevent future innuendo. If a full report is not released, House Democrats have made clear that they will do whatever they can to get a hold of it. Nadler said that he would subpoena the final report and invite or even subpoena Mueller to come in and talk about it. Now, I asked uh, Stan Brand about that. He served for eight years back in the 1980s as the general counsel for the U.S. House of Representatives. You may have heard his name actually come up during the uh, Michael Cohn hearings recently, a couple of weeks ago. Brand now teaches a course on the independent counsel statute at Penn State University. And I asked him on this program about whether subpoenaing the report and or Mueller to come in and testify it if Barr refuses to release it, uh, if that is likely, if it is possible or if it's even legal. One of the considerations is something called Rule 6A, which bars the public release of grand jury testimony presumably a part of uh, any report that Democrats and now even Republicans would like to see released, according to today's unanimous unanimous vote. Here's what uh, Brand told me during that recent broadcast when I asked him about that. First, as to the Congress's ability to subpoena, yes, they could issue a subpoena. The question is, could they enforce it? There's a long history uh, of the Department of Justice taking the position uh, that they oppose efforts by Congress to get either grand, grand jury material under Rule 60 or prosecutorial deliberations. And so that would be met by, I think, a strong Department of Justice uh, position in court, and that would take uh, some time to litigate. As to Bob Mueller being called to a public session to reveal things that are covered by 60, uh, I can't predict what Bob Mueller would do, but my guess is he would resist any effort to force him to violate what he would see as a stricture under Rule 60 that limits his ability to do that, um, since he is, I think, a by-the-book uh, lawyer. That was Stan Brand on the broadcast uh, a few weeks ago talking about that. A couple of days later, after I spoke with Brand, uh, on ABC's This Week with uh, George Stephanopoulos, Congressman Adam Schiff, who's chair of the House Intelligence Committee, he suggested the Democrats planned to do exactly that, to subpoena the report and Mueller's testimony, if necessary, in the event that Barr refused to release the report to the public uh, or even to Congress, which he could choose not to do as well. You say the Justice Department is going to have to live by that precedent, but what if they don't? What if they simply say, no, we're not going to release the underlying evidence? What options do you have? Well, we will obviously subpoena the report. Uh, we will bring Bob Mueller in to testify before Congress. We will take it to court if necessary. Uh, and in the end, I think the department understands they're going to have to make this public. Uh, I think Barr will ultimately understand that as well. 
Uh, if he were to try to withhold, to try to bury any part of this report, that will be his legacy, and it will be a tarnished legacy. So I think there will be immense pressure not only on the department but on the attorney general to be forthcoming. Are you talking about public pressure? Are you prepared to take the administration to court? Absolutely. Uh, we are going to get to the bottom of this. Uh, we are going to share this information with the public, and if the president uh, is serious about all of his claims of exoneration, then he should welcome the publication of this report. Well, yeah, because, you know, it's a hoax, and so that uh, the report would prove what a hoax it all is, sure, right? Sure, you'd think that he would want to be exonerated. Uh, meanwhile, uh, and, and I think a shift at this point, uh, while there may be uh, a lot of uh, uh, court wrangling if they do uh, have to subpoena the report or subpoena Bob Mueller, well, there's a lot of support now for releasing it. 420 to zero in the U.S. House calling for that, even though it was a, a resolution, non-binding resolution. So uh, a lot more pressure, I should think, on Bill Barr to release whatever report comes from the special counsel. So meanwhile, after this rare unanimous vote in the U.S. House over in uh, over in the Senate, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, is has been much less eager for some reason to push Barr to release this report, despite some certainly in his own caucus over in the Senate who say they want to ensure transparency. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa introduced legislation along with Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut to require Mueller to submit a detailed report to lawmakers and the public at the end of the investigation. But both McConnell and the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, that would be South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, they have both declined to say whether they would support that legislation, which uh, languishes in the Senate at this time. Graham said uh, he agrees, quote, with the concept of transparency, but he stopped short of supporting Grassley's bill in the Senate, saying he disagrees with taking discretion away from the attorney general. So he agrees with the concept of transparency, except when it actually affects somebody right. and something he wants. Uh, well, and letting other people decide if there will be transparency. I guess that's his version of transparency. So. Uh, some will seize in the Senate, I guess, but a pretty unambiguous statement from the U.S. House today on the matter and a very unambiguous message from the GOP-controlled U.S. Senate today on another matter in what is an unmistakable rebuke of Donald Trump. The Senate on Thursday easily voted to overturn Donald Trump's declaration of a national emergency at the southern border delivering an unmistakable bipartisan rebuke to what lawmakers in both parties deemed executive overreach by a president determined to build his border wall over Congress's very clear and recent objections to it. The 59-41 Senate vote on the measure, which uh, easily passed uh, previously in the U.S. House, now sets up the very first veto of Donald Trump's presidency, though a total of 12 Republican senators voted with all of the Democrats and against Trump's emergency declaration, which essentially steals more than $3.5 billion that Congress had allocated to the military to use. 
to instead take that money to build part of Trump's long-promised wall. Despite 12 Republicans coming along, that was still not enough to override a uh, veto, which Donald Trump has promised on this measure, uh, even though he has now been rebuked 59-41 in the U.S. Senate for declaring that phony emergency declaration. Still, Congress has uh, now voted to block a presidential emergency declaration for the very first time in the 43-year history of the National Emergencies Act. Majorities in both the House and Senate and, as it happens, on one of the core promises that animated Trump's political rise, that vow to build a wall between the U.S. and Mexico. Minutes after the Senate vote on Thursday, Trump tweeted one word in all caps, VETO! Exclamation point. Unclear if he knows that a tweet in and of itself does not actually count <laughs> as, as a veto. <laughs> we'll find out. Before the vote today, Senator Lamar Alexander, Republican of Tennessee, had this to say. Never before has a president asked for funding. The Congress has not provided it. And then the president has used the National Emergencies Act of 1976 to spend the money anyway. The problem with this is that after a revolutionary war against a king, our nation's founders gave to Congress a Congress elected by the people, the power to approve all spending so that the president would not have too much power. This check on the executive is a source of our freedom. In addition, this president or this declaration is a dangerous precedent. Already, Democrat presidential candidates are saying they would declare emergencies to tear down the existing border wall, to take away guns, to stop oil exports, to shut down offshore drilling and other left-wing enterprises, all without the approval of Congress. Left-wing enterprises. Uh, <laughs> I, I, By the way, I haven't heard any of them say they would uh, declare a national emergency to tear down that wall. But in, in general... Well, why uh, would a fact stop a Lamar Alexander or yeah. any Republican from pretending they said something they didn't say? Well, listen, he, he is right, uh, of course, uh, on these particular concerns. But then again... Uh, Congress did grant the president such powers without specifying how it could or should be used and what constitutes an actual emergency. That is not in the statute. That is not in the National Emergencies Act of 1976. So though this is ultimately going to be decided in the courts, Congress may find that it has only itself to blame here, as we have noted for years in seeding so much of the congressional uh, Article One powers over to the executive branch. I mean, they did write this law, and if you read the National Emergencies Act, it doesn't say what a an emergency is or isn't. And there's a whole bunch of, even though uh, uh, you know, a bunch of Republicans today, twelve Republicans in the Senate, uh, voted to uh, rebuke the president here and say this is not a, an emergency. There's still a whole bunch of Republicans who, I guess, think it is, who stand by this. So you know, we'll see how this goes in court. 
I don't know that Donald Trump is going to be blocked in this case. I think the court is as likely to say, particularly the Supreme Court, to say, hey, if that's what you guys wanted, if you didn't want this sort of thing, you should have specified it in the legislation. Especially this conservative Supreme Court that's been installed. Yeah, well, who believes in, uh, they call themselves textualists. What did What is in the text in the four corners of the document? What is specified? Well, it doesn't specify what an emergency is or isn't. It just lets the president declare it, and he has declared it. AP notes that in a measure of how remarkable the uh, confrontation was uh, on Thursday with the president, it was the first time the Congress has voted to block a presidential emergency since the National Emergency Act became law back in 1976. Trump and Republicans backing him said there is a legitimate security and humanitarian crisis at the border with Mexico and said that Trump was merely exercising his powers under the law, which largely leaves it to the president to decide what a national emergency actually is. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said the president is operating within existing law and the crisis on our border is all too real. Now, he's lying about the crisis on our border. There is no crisis other than the one that was caused by the way the Trump administration is punishing those seeking asylum and, and separating families from their kids. But McConnell is right, as I have a feeling the courts may agree about the president operating within the existing law. It is bad law, but it is the existing law. Earlier in the day, Trump tweeted, quote, prominent legal scholars agree that our actions to address the national emergency at the southern border and to protect the American people are both all caps constitutional and all caps expressly authorized by Congress. If at a later date Congress wants to update the law, I will support those efforts. But today's issue is all caps border security and crime. Don't vote with Pelosi. Now, I hate to support the president on anything he tweets, frankly, but I think he's not far from the truth here. Uh, nonetheless, Senator Jerry Moran, Republican of Kansas, said in a statement explaining his vote in favor of the resolution against Trump. He said, quote, I believe the use of emergency powers in this circumstance violates the Constitution. This continues our country down the path of all powerful executive something those who wrote the Constitution were fearful of. That is true, though perhaps Congress shouldn't have granted so much power to the president to override their own responsibilities. I would agree with that. But then again, we also have to remember that a lot of these things were norms. Nobody thought anybody would do such a bizarre, crazy thing as declare a national emergency where there wasn't anything of the kind. Yeah, but when you let the president now do we that, know we have to put this stuff into law, do anything they, uh, they want when it comes to emergencies. Uh, we, we, you know, there, there was an effort, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, to sort of uh, uh, rein that in a little bit while allowing the president to declare an emergency, but not any emergency forever. Right. You know, we have dozens of emergencies that were declared 10 years ago that are still in practice. Also, they've ceded their power to uh, declare war to the president as well. Hope to get to that in a minute. Ultimately, uh, the dozen Republicans who joined Senate Democrats uh, in supporting this House-passed re resolution 
of disapproval would be uh, Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, Roy Blunt of Missouri, Susan Collins of Maine, Mike Lee of Utah, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Rob Portman of Ohio, Mitt Romney of Utah, Marco Rubio of Florida, Pennsylvania's Pat Toomey, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Roger Wicker of Mississippi, and uh, Jerry Moran of Kansas. Now, Senator Tom Tillis, the uh, Republican of North Carolina, who was one of the first to publicly say that he would support such a resolution, he announced he changed his mind just minutes before the vote. He has a uh, uh, tough re-election coming up in 2020. He said that conversations with the White House and his colleagues contributed to his changed votes. Uh, yeah, because they warned they were going to primary him in North Carolina. So uh, three Republican senators, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Ben Sass of Nebraska and Ted Cruz of Texas, uh, they actually interrupted Donald Trump's dinner on Wednesday night with his wife Melania at the White House to uh, share their concerns about this constitutional precedent uh, that Trump is establishing here. Cruz uh, had initiated the meeting, hoped to sell Trump on his own rewrite of the emergency declaration law that would restrict funding from military sources, because that, yes, is where Trump plans to take the money from the military to build this wall. Uh, Trump was apparently annoyed at being interrupted, said no way. And um, all three men sided with Donald Trump anyway and voted against the resolution. Such courage. Uh, an earlier effort at Compromise had also failed when Republicans uh, hoped Trump would endorse a separate bill by Utah Senator Mike Lee that would have constrained emergency declarations in the future that would limit declarations to just 30 days before Congress would then be required to approve their their continuation of that emergency. It would only apply to future emergency declarations, not to this one. But if Trump had agreed to support that measure, Republicans felt that might be enough to uh, win over uh, an, enough Republicans to vote with the president on this resolution uh, to avoid the embarrassing 59 vote rebuke that he is facing today. But Trump told Lee that he opposed that legislation and Lee reportedly announced the uh, president's verdict to gasps from his colleagues who thought that he would uh, go along with this. And uh, then uh, Lee declared that he would vote for the resolution against Trump. Unlike Tom Tillis, Lee actually did so, actually mm. stuck with it. So there was uh, just uh, a lot of, of politics over the past few days over this as Republicans were panicking, were freaking out for some reason, even though they knew that there were not going to be enough votes to overcome a presidential veto. They just didn't want to embarrass Donald Trump who, by the way, I don't think is actually uh, capable of embarrassment. <laughs> I just I should note that now. Uh, he did um, just before the uh, vote, he tweeted, uh, quote, a vote for today's resolution by Republican senators is a vote for Nancy Pelosi for crime and the open border Democrats as his way of cajoling whoever he could on the Republican side to vote for him. So now Congress rejected Trump's funding uh, request for his wall, which led to that 35-day shutdown. 
So, by the way, has Mexico rejected his funding request for the wall? Uh, And now both houses have uh, rejected his emergency declaration to take the money anyway. And uh, we'll see, as this is already in court, but uh, he may still get that money anyway because Congress previously abdicated their power of the purse to the executive with the National Emergencies Act. That's not the only place they abdicated such power and uh, where they are attempting, probably unsuccessfully again, to try and claw back some of that power by attempting to rebuke the president in the bargain. Uh, The Senate voted on Wednesday evening to end U.S. support. This is in the U.S. Senate to end U.S. support for the Saudi led military campaign in Yemen. It was, until today, the latest rebuke of the Trump administration's continued embrace of the Saudi monarchy. That was a 54 to 46 vote, marking the second time in recent months that the U.S. Senate has rejected the uh, United States' continued participation in Saudi Arabia's U.S.-supported and funded bombing campaign against Yemen's Houthi rebels. Uh, The effort uh, has at times targeted civilian facilities, prevented aid shipment from getting to the Yemenis, something which the U.S. is pretending to be outraged about when the when aid shipments were prevented from getting into Venezuela recently. The U.S. aided Saudi aggression has been condemned by human rights organizations for exacerbating what the U.N. has deemed the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe. And none of it would be possible without the help and support of the U.S. Uh, And this is, again, a case where Congress has ceded their power to declare war or not declare war via the War Powers Resolution, which basically gives the power to declare war to the executive, to the president. Instead, so long as the president eventually comes back and explains the decision to Congress, which they then can stop. But if the president vetoes their resolution to stop it once again, Uh, That requires a two-thirds majority to override such a veto. So good luck clawing that power back from the president. I should note, this is not something we are bringing up now with Donald Trump in office. We have been talking about giving away executive power, congressional power, over to the executive for years. And now all of this seems to be coming home to roost Uh, All at once. Uh, And the president has now uh, been rebuked in both the House and the Senate. By the way, the uh, Senate uh, vote was uh, uh, led by Bernie Sanders. He was the chief sponsor of this resolution, along with uh, Congress Republican uh, Senator Mike Lee. Sanders said today we begin the process of reclaiming our constitutional authority by ending U.S. involvement in a war that has not been authorized by Congress and is clearly unconstitutional. That's good. Uh, But in a statement from the White House uh, threatening uh, a veto, the White House argued that the premise of the revolution uh, resolution is flawed and that it would undermine the fight against extremism. So sorry, Congress. Guess you should have thought about that before you before you decided to stop doing your constitutionally mandated job of being the sole arbiter of declaring war. 
It'll be very interesting to see if Congress learns anything here, though I suspect if they do begin to claw back powers from the executive, it'll be just in time to keep them from the next Democratic president. Just a guess. In any event, it would still be okay with me. All right, quick break, and we are back with some uh, with some election news, some amazing election news out of Wisconsin. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, the Wisconsin Election Commission has found two dozen cases, two dozen cases of suspected voter fraud. Yes, voter fraud uh, or other voting irregularities in the past year's elections after a statewide review. That's 24 potential cases of voter fraud out of some 2.7 million votes cast over the same period. The commission documented 24 cases of suspected fraud, such as people reportedly voting twice in an election, former felons casting ballots, which is still unlawful in Wisconsin, even though uh, many who do so don't know they are not allowed to do so in Wisconsin. Uh, A voter no longer residing at his or her her registered address voted anyway there. And in one case, one single case, a non-citizen reportedly voted one case out of 2.7 million. Reportedly. Other cases involve voters on an ineligible list trying to cast a ballot, as well as a deceased voter's absentee ballot being counted So someone who legally voted uh, via absentee ballot and then died before the election, but it got counted anyway, which somehow is apparently considered to be voter fraud in the state of Wisconsin. The commission received the report from the uh, municipal clerks across the state. They're required by law to provide such reports. The clerks are also required to submit the information to their respective uh, district attorneys. The 24 possible cases represent a tiny fraction, of course, of the roughly 2.7 million votes cast in last November's midterms. Commission, uh, Wisconsin Election Commission spokesperson Reed Magney said it's also unclear to the commission whether the suspected voters actually cast ballots or were prevented from doing so. So, again, there may be fewer than 24 cases of potential voter fraud here over the past year in Wisconsin. But Magny said uh, that none of those suspected cases over the past year, none, zero, would have been prevented by Wisconsin's voter ID law, which requires voters to present a photo ID, a very specific type of photo ID, 
in order for their uh, vote to be counted. That law, which was repeatedly found unconstitutional by federal courts in Wisconsin, but ultimately allowed by a wingnut appeals court judge who uh, was blatantly wrong on his facts, including his argument that photo ID is required to fly on a plane, which it decidedly is not required. Uh, That law prevents only cases of voter impersonation fraud at the polling place when someone tries to appear at the polls and and vote using someone else's name in the poll books. So zero of the cases would have been stopped by that law. Now, uh, that type of fraud is of actual voter fraud is vanishingly rare. A study from the University of Wisconsin-Madison back in 2017, however, which we covered at the time, found that as many as 23,000 voters in just two of the state's largest and most Democratic-leaning counties, that would be Dane and Milwaukee counties, 23,000 voters, legal voters, were deterred from casting ballots during the 2016 presidential election in the state because uh, either they didn't have the type of... The uh, very narrowly targeted type of ID that's allowed. Or they did not think that they had the type of ID that is now required to vote in the Badger State under this unconstitutional law. In other words, confusion over what the voter ID law was was what prevented them and deterred them from even bothering to try. Confusion or uh, just not having the type of ID that's required, even though they're legally registered voters, who, by the way, uh, nationally, according to a federal law, when you register to vote, you must present an ID to vote. I'm sorry, to register to vote everywhere, all 50 states. And if you don't, if you register via a third party or something, you are flagged when you show up to vote the first time in all 50 states to show an ID. Uh, That study uh, back in 2017 after the presidential election also found that the photo ID restriction law disproportionately affected African-American voters and low-income voters. At the time, Milwaukee County Clerk George Christensen said in a news release uh, responding to this study, quote, as the clerk who serves the largest population of African-Americans in the state, I was shocked by the numbers and am furious to see that Jim Crow laws are alive and well. So some 23,000 voters did not vote back in 2016 in Wisconsin in just two in just two of Wisconsin's 29 counties. The study only looked at those two counties due to the photo ID law back in the presidential election in 2016. And now this new report finds two dozen 24 cases of potential fraud out of 2.7 million votes cast. According to all of the state's election uh, clerks, from February of last year to February of this year, but among those, zero cases that would have been deterred by photo ID voting restrictions. Oh, and in case you forgot, that 23,000 number is, it shouldn't be hard to remember, the 23,000 who were prevented from voting back in 2016 in those two counties, because Trump is said to have won the state of Wisconsin. The first time in decades that a Republican has won the state, he won the state over Hillary Clinton by, wait for it, exactly 22,748 votes. But 
Over a period uh, covering 2016 and part of 2017, the same report uh, when Wisconsin saw a presidential uh, primary and general election, the uh, commission had received around 100 reports, not 24, but 100 reports of possible attempted voter fraud. Most of them apparently involved 17-year-olds trying to vote in the April presidential primary. A commission report to lawmakers found as many as 70 that's out of the 100 cases, uh, were 17-year-olds in 29 Wisconsin counties who uh, voted illegally in the April 2016 presidential primary uh, because there was confusion. A number of states like neighboring Illinois actually allow 17-year-olds to cast ballots in congressional and presidential primaries if they will be turning 18 by the date of the general election. Magni, uh, the spokesperson for the Wisconsin Election Commission, said that in many cases, teenagers were somehow able to persuade uh, poll workers that they were eligible to vote, even though they were not under Wisconsin law. In most cases, of course, nobody was prosecuted there. But uh, mission accomplished. Yep. Certainly worked in 2016, didn't it? Certainly did. Um, And it will continue to work until this country somehow saves itself. Best way to do that? At the ballot box. Hardest way to do that? When you're blocked at the ballot box by purposely disenfranchising voter suppression laws passed by Republicans. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. You will save the world, right? (laughs) I'm going to try. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. If you don't, the kids will. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. And with all that, we didn't even get to talk about Summer Zervos today <laughs> and the fact that a uh, New York court has says, yes, her case against Donald Trump may proceed. But that's for another day because we're, as usual, running late. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. The report calls for the U.S. government to recognize the fiscal challenges climate change will bring. GAO report warns Trump administration's climate rollbacks will waste billions in taxpayer dollars. All those particles in the air, that's holding a lot of garbage. Experts warn repeal of air pollution standards could increase autism. Climate change is already eroding coastal property values. Plus, we need to demonstrate that we share a common goal of a low-carbon future and that we are in action towards it. Is climate activism pushing a shift in the fossil fuel industry? All of those questions and more answered straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. President Trump has called global warming a hoax. And the head of the Environmental Protection Agency is a climate change skeptic. No, he's a climate change denier. Get it straight, Al Jazeera, unless you are Holocaust skeptics. This is your Green News Report. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, over the past few days, it has been reported that the air in Denver, in Denver, the pollution has been worse than it has been in Beijing. Is that true? Yes, that is true. It's luckily only temporary, but do keep that in mind when you hear about this. A group of scientists and public health experts have warned that the Trump administration's rollbacks of air pollution standards could cause an increase in neurological developmental disorders in America's children, like autism, ADHD, memory deficiencies, and lowered intelligence. The experts said that increasing evidence links autism spectrum disorders to prenatal exposure to traffic-related air pollutants. Mm. The Trump administration has proposed reversing Obama-era energy efficiency rules for light bulbs. Of course they have. Yep, and that's even against the wishes of industry manufacturers. The rules had triggered innovation and have already saved U.S. consumers millions of dollars in energy costs. So years ago when Fox News and Republicans were freaking out, claiming that Barack Obama was banning light bulbs, And now we've got these way better light bulbs that are much cheaper than they were initially. Now Trump wants to go back to where we were five years ago? Yes. Of course they do. Meanwhile, the Government Accountability Office, in a new report, said that the Trump administration's rollbacks of a broad range of climate policies threatens to waste taxpayer dollars because the administration is failing to protect the country against the financial risks posed by climate change, and then that would reduce overall federal spending on disasters. Climate change is all already eroding coastal property values. A new analysis by the First Street Foundation calculated that between 2005 and 2017, 17 states saw $16 billion in losses from coastal flooding caused by rising sea levels and stronger storms. That is also bad news for coastal communities because flooding is eroding their property tax base right when they need revenue for repairs and adaptation. But there is some cautiously, potentially good news. Norway sent shockwaves to the oil industry when it announced last week that it is phasing out its investments in oil companies that specialize in exploration. Cool. From its $1 trillion National Sovereign Wealth Fund in order to reduce exposure to volatile oil prices. Very cool. Then last month, one of the world's largest oil companies, Royal Dutch Shell, bought an electric vehicle battery company, a UK electric company, and and announced it's partnering with a wind turbine manufacturer. That's cool, too. This week at an energy industry conference in Texas, a top Shell executive said the company is readying itself for a fundamental shift in global energy supplies toward low-carbon sources. And he said Shell aims to become the largest electricity company by the 2030s. And finally, in a speech at that same fossil fuel energy conference in Texas, the CEO of BP, Bob Dudley, warned his colleagues in the oil and gas industry that they risk losing their social license to operate if they don't address what he obliquely called climate issues. There's a rising tide of concern on many fronts about the lack of progress on climate issues. And I would say not just concern, but anger. Dudley explicitly pointed to the global climate strike by teen climate activists around the world that's set for Friday, March 15th, to demand that their governments act aggressively on climate change. Dudley also pointed to the wildly popular Green New Deal resolution in the U.S. House as signs that the world is shifting and the oil in industry must evolve with it. We have to move from being pure play oil and gas companies into broader energy businesses. That means engaging more young people who will take to the streets on Friday. 
It means improving the dialogue we have with policymakers around the world, including those behind the Green New Deal. We need to demonstrate that we share a common goal of a low-carbon future and that we are in action towards it. Good. And good luck with that. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Too much, too little, too late to lie again with you. You're not buying it from the oil industry? I am not buying it. (laughs) No, you don't get to deny climate change for all these years and actually uh, put the earth on a path to ultimate destruction and extinction for everything and then come around and say, gosh, we should probably work on that. Too much, too little, too late. Yes, one quick follow-up. I just wanted to note that today, uh, Greta Thunberg, the Swedish teen climate activist who's inspired the global climate strike, school strike movement on on Friday. Friday, When kids, by the way, kids, you're allowed apparently to just walk out of school on Friday. Dude, you got to do it. (laughs) Let me say that personally. All right, you're going to get in trouble. Parents are going to write to you that you are telling kids to to skip school. Write to me at greennews at bradblog.com. Anyway, Greta just got nominated for a no. Nobel Peace Prize by three Norwegian lawmakers. Really? Yeah. So cool. I know. That is so cool. Now, of course, anybody can be nominated by uh, for a uh, Nobel Yeah, but Peace how many Prize. 16-year-olds fighting for the survival of the planet get that? And, yeah, no kidding. And it was by uh, three Norwegian uh, lawmakers. So uh, very cool. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, we will be back uh, tomorrow with another edition of the award-wanting Bradcast. (laughs) Until then, uh, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Fill yourself up with news. Uh, You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And until we bring in that sweet, sweet Nobel Peace Prize money, I will thank those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and I stay on your public airwaves, telling the truth and filling your soul with good news and bad every day. You're welcome. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 